I love baptisms. I will say this too by way of bias. I think baptisms and communion are uh, not to be missed. Kids are, by the way, going in droves right now to uh, a great gathering next door. And uh, there's always something special in store for them. Um, I, uh, I really... Uh, you're starting to yelp. That's a good thing. So um, I, I definitely uh, believe that, what I just said. Uh, this week I've heard from many of you and how impactful last Sunday was. And you know what my common response is? Because I believe it. I believe it's because we were all focused on Jesus. I think that's still true. We can get, we can get not intentionally, but a little off point. And when we're focused on Jesus and how can baptisms be anything but about Jesus? Who would do that unless they said, there's something there that's real? These people are all in. So if, um, if can I ask you to do me a favor? If the Lord's said, saying things, the Holy Spirit's saying to you, you know, simple and pure, those are not really the words to describe you and me right now. Uh, if that's true of you, and you feel comfortable, feel free to reach out to me, and let's talk about that. Steve at gracepointfamily.com. It's easy to do, and we can talk about what's, what's not pure, what's um, not simple, and see if the Holy Spirit can lead us in that direction. Amen? That's good. So my Bible is open to Acts chapter 20, and um, previously in our, uh, in our study of Acts 20, um, uh, there was a there was an amazing thing that we tried to get our heads around um, a night in Troas. Um, th this night was uh, Paul preaching. It was his last time to be there, and so he was uh, he had a lot on his mind, and he had lengthy notes. Um, I assure you, that's not me this morning. Okay, but he, he truly did have a ton to say, and it turns out he he spoke all night. He he preached through the night, if you will. And uh, in that gathering, uh, upstairs room, we're told, it's all in chapter 20, there was a teenage boy sitting in a window seal, sill, sill. Not a smart idea, right, on the third floor. No screens and bars in the window. That means that uh, things could go bad if they go bad. And sure enough, he gets drowsy and dozes off, and he falls to his death below. And there's this amazing development. Verse 10 is just worth, you could read it every day and never over read it. But imagine being there as I have every time I turn to it. Paul went down quickly, down the stairs, outside, and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. I, I sometimes read that and go, really? If you've ever been at the scene of something like this, uh, it's almost impossible not to be alarmed. But when you read what's stated next, you start to see why. He's alive, Paul said. And sure enough, they took him upstairs and ate. They had a great preaching, great food here. And after taking, uh, talking till daylight, Paul left. The people then take this boy home. And of course, understandably, the, pe the folks are greatly relieved. So there's, there's great teaching. What a great th way to start a, a, a 
of sermon. <laughs> That's what I hope to do. But there's also then this great food together, this gathering. And then, and, and I'm, I'm not sure there's too many more impressive miracles than something where this child is dead and now they're alive. So all that's going on here. And then moments later, um, we're told that Paul left. He takes off and uh, he travels with his missions team that has now grown in size and they leave Troas. Um, I'll just say in passing very quickly, Troas is kind of a special place. If you go back to chapter 16 and you could read it in verses 6 to 8, you read that not once but twice Paul wanted to go to Asia, we're told. And the Holy Spirit said, not now, not yet. And instead sent him to Troas, where that night upon his arrival, he gets up in the middle of the night and has something of a vision uh, where it was real and animated. And in the vision, there's a guy in it that's across the sea, if you will, across some waters, waving, come here, come here. Like, you know, the plane, the plane, you know. <laughs> well, it's a ship, the ship. And, and, and Paul concludes that we're supposed to go there. And of course, he was, he was inviting Paul and the gospel to Europe. And sure enough, the rest is, shall we say, history. Um, so they're back here, and this is um, kind of a special place, I'm going to say, for Paul. And, um, and here he is wrapping up his final visit and stop to Troas. He would not venture this way again and had no further contact with these people. He wasn't mad. He just had other people that had not heard yet, and that's where he was going to go next. So now it was time for Paul uh, we talked about this before, to turn east. So Troas took him west and even further west when they end up in Thessalonica and Berea and all those places on down to Athens and, uh, and Corinth. But now it's time to go east. And the plan is to go all the way east to Jerusalem. You may recall that in chapter 20, verse 3, there was a little in-the-way hiccup on his plan. He wanted to go to Jerusalem for Passover. The hiccup came in the form of a plot to kill Paul. And so he had to divert his plan, and we talked about that in depth in a recent message. And then finally comes up over the horn and back down, and now he gets, uh, it's time to move and get to Jerusalem, hopefully in time for the celebration of Pentecost. And we'll learn more about that now. But Look at verse 13 of chapter 20, and let's pick up and read on. So we went on ahead to the ship. This is now a plural pronoun. Luke is describing himself and the others that go on ahead to the ship and sail for Assos, and when, where we were going to go and take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. No one knows why. I suspect I know why. I think, I think the rest of the guys get on a boat, and sure enough, they, they, uh, they navigate down to Asos. But not Paul, because he had some things that he had to work out with God. And I think that'll make sense when we get to that in this story and in the rest of Acts that's right on the horizon. Okay, So Paul had some things, much like think of Jesus 
when big things were going on, uh, when he was about to be baptized, when he was tempted in the wilderness, when he was um, about to go to the cross. And many of these moments you can find in the Gospels kind of a, 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 a stepping back and finding a, uh, a, a serene place, a quiet place to contemplate, do what I would do in such a moment. And I think Paul gets that. Uh, and that's perhaps, it's not, we're not told for sure, but why he went on foot and they went by a vessel. When we met up at Asos, we, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. Okay, so you're going to weave and sort of bob and weave here a little bit. Verse 15, the next day we set sail from there and arrived in Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos. And on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry, here it is, to reach Jerusalem, hoping to get there for Pentecost. So he had missed Passover because of that plot against him, and he's hoping maybe, because it's a 50-day stretch between Passover and Pentecost, uh, maybe we can get home, and that gives us nothing more than an important time stamp on this voyage. By the way, Speaking of voyages, he's on the third of four missions trips. Okay, that's where we are in the whole narrative of Paul. All right, so we got that. So they begin their journey, Paul by land and all of that. And they come to Miletus and Paul uh, joins them there. It's a 20-mile stretch from Miletus um, to Ephesus. And that's important for what we're about to see because when they arrived... Paul dispatches messengers and says, go get the elders in Ephesus. Go quickly, 20 miles quickly. Get them and bring them down because I want to talk to them. I want to visit with them before we continue our voyage straight for Jerusalem. All right? So that's kind of the setting here and how it goes. Um, and the elders come and they meet up for this parting visit um, verse, six, verse 17, Paul sends to Ephesus the, this, uh, this messenger to invite the elders of the church, and they came back and met. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, what we're about to read is what my title says. It's this fond farewell. It's a heartfelt time with elders in a church that was a baby church and he had spent a ton of time there, three years, growing them, building into them, teaching them, challenging, correcting them, nurturing them, all those good things that go on over a span of time. And here he is about to say farewell to them. It's uh, what we might, and it's been described this way, as a one-day pastor's conference. These elders gather quickly because there's a chance to see Paul before he sails east. And that's what's about to happen. A one-day pastor's conference. Can't go on without telling you this. My father, uh, for 30 years, was the general director of the Conservative Baptist Northwest. That's uh, a region of four states. It's the largest uh, conservative Baptist region in the country. 
uh, 300 churches and um, uh, as, as many as 75,000 folks that fill churches like ours all across the region. He would travel every year to every pastor, if possible, to see those 300 pastors in one-day help seminars. And they were crowded, and they were, uh, they were full of energized, hungry pastors, elders. Think elders, think pastors. And they would come there. I mean, it, it, goes, it, feels, it would be like this invitation. If you got an invitation from Moses to spend a day with him, right? Okay, I, got, I go too far. He's not Moses, but they were roommates, okay? Just for clarity here, all right? So, Dad, I love you. And I went to some of those seminars, um, and uh, he bought me lunch afterwards. That helped. But um, it was really good, and it was, it was that experience of sitting at the feet of somebody that's smart and wise and humble. And I'd never, I never had a situation come up, and I don't think most of the pastors there ever had, where he went, oh, man, I have no idea what to do. He was just that kind of depth, okay? So what we got here, we've got a similar situation. Paul's saying, mostly to young believer uh, leaders, first-generation leaders, come and spend, and it turns out it's a one-day deal. So it made me think of my dad and for other reasons as well. Now for Paul's pastoral help seminar. Um, I've said it's a heart-to-heart farewell. Um, he begins by, by reflecting, as you would expect, on his ministry there. So verse 18 picks up. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. It's a great statement. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. So it's, it's big gatherings, and then I spend time personally. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So he begins by this very personal, this is sort of retracing my steps, and this is what I did. And it's not a surprise that he would say my primary thing, my shtick, I was devoted daily to actually proclaiming the gospel and building you up. That's what, a, that's what, a, that's what ministry involves. Paul, uh, we're not surprised at all, had that as his approach. And he had the right stuff. Would you look again at verse 19 and, and just, I, this says so much, every verse here. I, I serve the Lord with great humility and with heart, tears, and in the midst, I did it in the midst of severe testing. Um, humility with tears. It's, it's the stuff of a true servant. And then to be able to do that, the uh, preposition's important. I was in the midst. I was in the middle of the blowback, if you will. In other words, not everybody went, yay, Paul, we're so happy you're here. 
boy, oh boy, golly, we're so, you're a good guy. There were some guys over here plotting another approach to get rid of him. That's what it means to do these things, as he says in verse 19, with a kind of humility and tears. It's, it's truly in the midst of uh, a hurricane-like resistance and opposition. How do you stay steady in that? Uh, if you face things like that, plots, maybe not to kill you, but to harm you, maybe to oppose you, you know, you know from your own experience the temptation to run and hide or to duck and cover. That's human instinct. They're gunning for me. Don't show your face. Um, stay out of view. All of those kinds of things are temp tempting, but Paul makes a, makes a point of saying, I, don't, I didn't hold a thing back in spite of the intimidation of my opponents. I was just all on all the time. He would not blink and he would not back down. Can I just say it? If you're not taking that home with you, neither should we. Neither should we. We do stand for um, not just a, a principle, but a savior. We stand for, we stand with somebody and we stand in a storm. Read Matthew chapter 10 and you will find that there is um, quite a prediction by Jesus about the stuff we're going to encounter. And we, when we encounter it, I think Paul's given us good guidance at this one-day seminar that we're supposed to be humble and strong and courageous as we stay on point. Amen? I, I want to encourage you at, at, at jobs that are hostile. I won't name companies. I won't name school districts. I won't name... But you know it's almost ubiquitous. It's everywhere we go today. There's, there's resistance to the way. And... And there's a temptation with that to say, then, fine, I'm out of here. I'm done with that kind of stuff. But verse 21, Paul stayed strong and courageous. And Paul's message was simple and remained straightforward, and so should ours. I was in a back-and-forth dialogue just yesterday about a, a godly public leader that's been dismissed after 30 years in his vocation for... Um, for holding to a conviction that, that his love of Jesus said, I, I, I can't go there. I won't go there. And, um, of course, he's been branded all kinds of this and that. And, and, it's, and it's, it's not far from John 3. Jesus came into the world as light. And what did the people do? Not all of them. But what did, what did many do? They chose darkness instead of light. Well, Jesus said, if it happened to me that way, don't be, don't be surprised if that comes your way as well. He said that in a lot of other places. So from these early personal reflections of his three years there in Ephesus, um, <clears throat> he turns now to lay before the people um, stuff that they're going to face. And, uh, his, and, he, and he tells... Um, tells about that 
And he wants to also make it clear that he's not um, naive about the future that awaits him. Look at verse 22 and let's read on. Now compelled by the Spirit, that's what New International says, driven by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I don't take too many trips without a good sense of what I'm getting into. He has no idea. There's a little hint coming, though. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, is that simplifying and clarifying things? My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom for three years will see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I want to talk a, a moment about something that's important. And it's happening in my heart, and many of you have told me it's true in you too. This, this fire in my belly, this, this, this passion. How do you sustain that? Where does it come from? Paul is introducing that in verse 22. I am compelled by the Spirit, and he, and he goes on. He was driven, he was driven to do what he did. This isn't Paul uh, type A, he was, but this isn't just a function of his personality or temperament. This is Paul with some kind of power or force behind him. May I go a step further? Within him. I get more of a hint if we were to turn here, let me just quote it from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this in verse uh, 16, when I preach the gospel I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. He's the guy that would be here right now and he wouldn't speak out of turn, but he'd say, give me the mic when I get a chance. Because it's in him to do it. There's something that says I've got something to say and I'm not even sure all that is going to come out of my mouth, but I know the Holy Spirit is, is driving the bus here. And that's... That's powerful. He says, I'm compelled to preach. And then he adds, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I would illustrate it right now. You know what woe to me is? It's, it's a guy banging his head against the wall. I know I was designed for this, Paul would say. This is what I'm called to do. Now I'm going to say something that I hope grabs you out of your chair and, and you make this personal, okay? No matter where you are. That's true of every one of us. May not be preaching. In fact, it's likely not. But it's something where the Holy Spirit says, I'm talking to you right now. Steve's telling about himself a little bit, but he's mostly telling about Paul. And this is true of every one of us. The Bible emphatically says every one of us has a gift and it was given, unlike other gifts, if I gave you my watch, it's yours to keep. No, this kind of gift comes from God, and he says, I've given it to you for two purposes. One is for my glory, and the second is for the good 
of others. Of others. If you've got a gift, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, all says what I just said. It's been given to you to serve others and bring glory to God. Can I get an amen? That's the deal. And some of you are doing that so beautifully. It's so cool in places. This parking lot is starting to feel full every day of the week. What a good thing, all right? And, and I hope it keeps going like that um, because there's Bible studies and outreaches and cool stuff happening. So um, Paul then admits that the road ahead is going to be difficult and even dangerous. Verse 23 tells us. But despite the headwinds, I love verse 24. He says, I am, I'm going to, my goal, my only purpose is to finish and fulfill the assignment given to me. Can I ask you, do you have that kind of fight? Um, you'll be a freak at times. I forget who, but somebody in history, and you can shout it out if you remember, but somebody said our goal in this Christian life is to be lit on fire by the Holy Spirit and watch, and people will come to watch you burn. Not burn, burn, but passion burn. You are resolute, you are determined, you're confident, you have conviction, that kind of burn. You say, well, that's not my personality. I'm not talking personality. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit's got a, he's got a room full of mouths. Everybody open wide, I'm not your dentist, but yours is one of them, right? We've got something to say, don't we? Um, are you willing to face resistance, even rejection? Because that's very clear here. Um, it's not theoretical. It's not hypothetical. A few get hurt along the way. Especially that's not true anymore because of the way our world is going. So relevant question, are you, am I ready to face huge resistance for Christ's sake. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be, not may be, will be persecuted. Let me say it again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And you, can, you don't have to raise your hand high. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. That's you? Will be persecuted. There's a way not to. Right? That's not the Jesus way. I've already told you, check out Matthew 10 and you'll see it's not. So, Paul certainly was willing to face whatever um, for the glory of Jesus. We're going to see that more in the weeks to come, of course. So Paul's final focus, I mentioned it earlier, is he shifts it from what lay ahead here to what lay ahead for the Ephesians after he gets on that boat and heads east. Um, three quick themes here, okay? So let's just mention them as we pass and we'll be done. The first in verse 20. 
keep watch. Notice the direct counsel he gives. So elders, leaders, the one-day seminar is over, so keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Keep a close watch over, notice the sequence because it's important in that verse. Close watch over yourself and others. It starts with self. That's what Proverbs 4 verse 23 says. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from your heart flows every issue of life. Right? So that's the epicenter of how this program's supposed to go. I got to start with me. Can't go good, do good deeds and hope it works well. I got to start with the heart. And he's saying that. Keep a close watch over your heart. And then from there, he says what Peter said in 1 Peter 5. So cool. He's, here's the guy that was defeated. Right? And he, and he becomes this former fisherman, now pastor. And in 1 Peter 5, he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Do it. Find people that need your influence, and they're all around. All right. Next, quickly, watch out for wolves. Uh, this, this gets graphic. I know that after I leave, verse 29, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. I, I, I would have you circle that if you want to. Because there is an end game. Their goal is to draw disciples away. Committed Christians. If you're sitting in this room or you're dialed in someplace and it still matters to you, you have a target on you. Savage wolves, we're told, are going to do this. Even from your own number, men will arise, distort the truth in order to drag away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Bad people, would you hear me say this? Watch out for wolves among the sheep. Please don't get this wrong. Where you start to get suspicious. And look, are they with us or against us? And don't do that. Don't do that. But know that this is true, what Paul is saying. Not just true then. Bad people are present and on the prowl. You say, really? Yeah, really. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. You see alert on my face? For your adversary, the devil's doing the same thing Paul just said, is prowling about as a roaring lion, seeking to have somebody throw the tennis ball so you can retrieve it? No, seeking someone to devour. Malevolent. It's not nice here at all. Those, those, those people that he's talking about in verse 29 and 30, they're among us. They will come in among you and not spare the flock, just like the devil. I'll just say the, the, the takeaway that jumped all over me. There's strength in numbers, people. If you are being separated, I, I, I'm not going to just talk to live stream right now, but whoever you are, 
And if for whatever reason you've come up with that you don't need to uh, get dressed and um, come to church and find a parking space, um, you just you found another way. And if you're finding that way and you're all alone in that way, there's trouble. There's trouble. I'm not scolding you. I'm really glad. If you're brand new with us, I'm really super glad you're here. I hope very soon, wherever you're watching, you will go to that local Jesus-loving Bible teaching church, and you'll find a seat in the front row. And you'll be around Christians. Why? Because you got my six. There's a guy in our church that says that all the time to me. I, I had to ask him, anybody know what that means? You're smarter than me. He just raised his hand at me. He's blowing kisses at me right now. I'm not looking in his direction. But. So here's the deal. Glenn calls me and says, I got your six, man. I'm like, I wasn't in military. What's that? He goes, I got your back. I'm sitting near you. I'm, I, I'm, I care. They're going to have to go through me to get to you. Have, you. have you thought that way? It's a good thing to think. Because there's strength in numbers. Don't let anyone or anything separate you from the flock. Don't. The Bible is emphatically on my side in this. Read those verses at the bottom. There's so much more that could be said. said. But Satan seeks to do just the opposite of what I'm pleading with. He seeks to separate you and then poof, destroy. Have you heard the statement, um, seeing is believing, and if you need to see, look at me. You ever heard that? That's how he finishes here. It's a cool saying, and it's true. Verse 32, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Listen to this humble admission here. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, in everything I did, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. What a beautiful, tender, honest thing. What's he saying here? Remember my example. If, you, if you're faint on the words, just hold on to what you saw in me. There's all kinds of takeaways here. I lived among you with tender care and tears too. And now I give you to the grace of God. I've stayed pure. What a great statement he's making. Verse 33. I'm, I, that world was as tempting as our world to abscond with money. And he says, no, I, I was pure in my handling of money and I maintained the highest integrity the entire way. What a great statement for Paul to be able to make. Any pastor, any person to make. It's a cool thing. And I've, I've worked hard and given generously. He, he actually quotes Jesus, though it's not from a gospel. We're not sure where it came from except the Holy Spirit, right? Better to give than receive. Uh, and his visit concludes with a beautiful, beautiful, tender scene. When Paul had finished speaking, 
he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was the statement they would not see him face to face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Special farewell. Heartfelt farewell. Tears, prayers, kisses, the stuff of tender love. The grief because it's going to be hard to say goodbye. And it it was. But God had made his mark on those people. He wants to do the same in our lives and through our lives every single day. Um, I'd like you to join me. I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask the worship team to um, step into something here at the end. Um, there's a great song called I Will Follow You. And, uh, and, and Paul was famous for saying, follow me as I follow Christ thought of that a lot over the years. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. he also said to the Philippian church, the things you've heard and seen and observed in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What a great statement. He's just following Jesus' words when he, disciple after disciple said, you follow me, follow me. So your example is in play. Um, they say that Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, Paul was saying, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus. Um, I can't think of better words to go out on mission as we leave every Sunday than those words. Reminded by the song, I will follow you. And uh, everywhere I go, even if the verses don't come to mind, you're not sure what to say, say I'm in love with Jesus, want to find out more, let's go together. It works. Lord, I love you, and I thank you today for uh, a Sunday that is traditionally difficult to preach because it's the Sunday after Easter. Um... In football, the season's over at the Super Bowl, but this is different. And today, this is a beautiful reminder that you're still at work. You were in that day, and you still are now. I pray that in everything we take from here today, we would be people that follow you in all that we say and do, and invite others with humility, follow me as I follow Jesus. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you lead us in song? Let's do it. Let's stand together.